There's a tradition that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years that says when the name of God in Hebrew first comes on the scene, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, that there actually weren't any vowels in it as it was, as it was given. And so the, the tradition goes like this. How do you pronounce the name of God? Well, there is no way to pronounce it. They say it's just the sound of breathing. So from the very first moment we come into the world, we're uttering the name of God. Whether Before you even know him, you're uttering the name of your creator. He puts you here. And the rest of our lives, we are giving him his breath back. And so let that, let that just resonate in your heart and mind. I hope we're able to give you a few phrases that stick with you today throughout, throughout the course of this next week and beyond. Maybe have, by the spirit of God, have a greater impact than that. You know, these little phrases and little slogans are are catchy and they can stick with us and, and things that you didn't want to know, you suddenly know and you can recite them all the time. I mean, think about it. Did you know that in 15 minutes or less, you could save 15% on your car insurance? I mean, these little, these phrases matter. They, they stick with us. Okay. I mean, Chick-fil-A did not invent the chicken. Did you know this? They invented the chicken sandwich. Okay. Um, there's an, I love Home Depot. Okay. I love them. I, am one of these guys makes multiple trips. Um, Home Depot, they say, uh, you can do it. We can help, right? They have way overestimated my abilities. All right. Can I just, can I just tell you? And then if you can put one of these slogans to music, okay. Nationwide is on your side. And then sudden, I mean, I've known that since since I was a kid, right? I mean, you can really, I mean, from Ace is the place for the helpful hardware folk. I'm not going to try to sing it. I'm just glad they're helpful and I'm glad they're folk because that resonates with me. I'm from the South. And so I like that. And so, but if they can, if you can get a phrase to stay in someone's head, it can make quite a difference in how they remember it. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter six. We're going to start in verse four. We're going to look at one of these phrases that Jesus repeated over and over. And as we turn to Matthew chapter six, verse four, I would really hate uh, to just not remind you for just a moment that you don't have to be lonely at farmersonly.com. So just, uh, just checking, just want to make sure you're good. Please don't use the website to after the message. That's all I ask. Okay. That's all I ask. Pastor Brian introduced us to this phrase last week, Matthew chapter six, verse four, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now imagine you're sitting on the edge of the Sea of Galilee and you're listening to this rabbi talk and maybe you tuned in late, maybe you were there from the very beginning. We believe he gave this message several times. The disciples wrote it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he breathed it out on them, by the way. And he gave, them, he gave this message over and over again. But when you hear it, it's gonna be hard to remember the whole thing. And maybe when you leave, you and your family are talking about, do you remember the very beginning when he talked about those beautiful attitudes, when he said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, when he gave all of those things, do you remember those things? But Jesus had some phrases he repeated, one that we've already talked about from Matthew chapter five. You have heard it said, but I say, raising the bar on the law, inserting his own authority. Can I tell you that that was one of those phrases that everybody leaving there, they would have been talking about. You have heard it said, but I say. And then now as we turn the page into chapter six, there's something going on here, I believe in chapter six. Jesus is helping us with our relationship to God the Father in chapter six. And at the very beginning, he says a phrase 
and he repeats it a couple times. It's the one that we just read. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I mean, this phrase is so memorable that it actually is one of those phrases that people pick up out of the teachings of Jesus and then misconstrue. Some people take this phrase to mean, I can be a closet Christian. I can just stay home. I can stay out of the church. I can just keep my faith and my religion private. And Jesus has given me permission to do that. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's talking about three specific areas. He's talking about, and you're giving to the poor and to the needy in prayer and in fasting, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you take credit for something, when you try to take credit for some type of accomplishment, you shine a light on yourself instead of shining it on God. We have a saying in our house that comes from Proverbs chapter 27, verse two. It says, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. I love the word praise and the word picture that goes with it in the Old Testament. It's the idea of shining a light on something. Let someone else shine a light on you. Let someone else do that. Let God prompt someone else to shine a light on your good deeds, on your accomplishments. Don't take it for yourself. Don't take the glory for yourself. Don't take the glory off of God and attempt to put it on you. Because when you do that, it reveals a faith that lives as if God doesn't see you and as if he's not the rewarder of those who are going to diligently seek him. It's a faith that says, hey, God, in case you didn't see what I did, I'll just go ahead and promote it myself. And that is so prevalent in our culture today. I was talking with a friend and a leader not too long ago who who said this phrase. It's just powerful. It's something that stuck with me. They said, give us a spirit of self-forgetfulness. I need that. I need a little of that. A spirit of self-forgetfulness. Why? Because your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This kind of out loud, put the spotlight on me was something that Jesus talked about over and over again. This kind of spotlight on me faith was something that Jesus talked about over and over again. And now as we go further into the Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever that we're several weeks into, Jesus is talking specifically today about prayer. And we're going to talk about fasting at the end today as well. But I want you to see what he says about prayer. Verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. The word means actor. Don't be an actor. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Did you catch it again? And your father, he's making a point who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Rabbis typically would walk around and pray. I love to prayer walk, okay? It helps me stay focused. The best conversations my wife and I have typically are walking in our neighborhood. There's just something about walking, gets my mind working, keeps me focused. I don't know if any of you have this problem, but if I sit down to pray with my Bible, even with a journal, my mind is going to wander. I'm going to think about everything else I've got to do. I'm going to think about my to-do list, the things going on. No one else struggles with this. It's fine, just me. Personal moment. Don't worry about it. I don't know if anybody, I don't know if anybody ever like falls asleep when you're praying. Are, you, are we okay to, to admit this? I mean, we have a group for this. It's special. It's great. The, uh, we should have. I mean, this happens to everybody. But the rabbis would walk around and not just walk and pray. They would walk and let you know that they were praying. They would beat their chest. They would 
shout their prayers out loud. They would raise their hands as if to say, my prayers are going to be the reason anything good happens in this world. Jesus practiced something entirely different. If you look at Mark chapter one, it says this rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place. There he prayed and Simon, whose name will be changed to Peter and those who were with him, they searched for him. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Jesus is praying. And he didn't feel the need to tell even his closest companions that he was going to pray. He got away into a quiet place. Think about this now. The son of God talking to father God. He felt a need to do this on a regular basis, even multiple times a day. I would contend this. None of Jesus' teachings... None of his miracles were ever done apart from him first going to God the Father in prayer. And if the Son of God needed that kind of relationship with the Father while he was on earth in order to be productive, how much more do I need it? How much more do you need it? Anything that you want to accomplish of lasting worth, if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to live a life that matters, anything of any Lasting worth in your life that is visible to others will be in direct relationship to your relationship with the one who is invisible, to the one that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but you have spent time with them when no one else even knows about it. And then Jesus continues to teach us to pray. And he does it in a way that all of you, I'm sure, have heard at some point or another, whether you've been in church or not. Matthew 6, verse 9 says this. Pray then in this way, Jesus says. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some of your translations add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forevermore. Amen. Jesus teaches us to pray with such simplicity. And can I tell you something? As we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, there are often times where we feel like we just can't do it justice. We have done a six-week series before on the Lord's Prayer. And I've got less than six weeks with you today, and you'll get hungry, so we're not, I'm not going to do that to you. But there's just a couple of observations that I want us to make about the Lord's Prayer. And again, it's, it's weeks and weeks and weeks of teaching we could do to truly grasp it. But maybe we can come away with just a couple of things that stay in our heads today. I believe Jesus changed prayer forever for everyone, everywhere with just two words, just two words. As he's laying out this prayer, he goes into it very simply. And I'm sure there were people at this point, they want to hear especially this 
powerful rabbi with his own authority. They want to hear him talk more and more about prayer because prayer was so much bigger than this. I mean, there were daily prayers. There were prayers you were supposed to wake up with. There were prayers for the middle of the day. There were prayers for the evening. There were prayers for this meal, for that meal. There were books of prayers that people would walk around with. They weren't even their own words, but they were books that would help you make sure that you didn't mess this up during the day. Prayer was a structured, do it this way or you're doing it wrong deal. And Jesus changed it with just two words for everybody. Our Father. That's it. And I'm sure people want to go, wait, 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 wait. wait, He's still talking. Stop him. Somebody stop him. Stop him. What did he just say? Our Father. I think in every group environment that I've been a part of at Westridge over the years, and especially the ones that we have here at the church where we're helping some of you get plugged in who've never been plugged into a group before and you're just trying it out. And sometimes my wife and I get to host those kinds of groups and and share with people. And almost every time, I'll say every time, someone in the group at some point pulls me aside privately and they're embarrassed. Most of the time it's a guy, which I love. A guy will pull me aside and he'll say, hey, hey, uh, Preacher? Pastor? Yes. Call me that. I like it. Um, You don't have to call me that, by the way, but that's how it starts. Um, See, the thing is, I don't know how to pray. And I appreciate you taking prayer requests, but the reason why that I give a prayer request is because you're here and I'm hoping you're writing it down and you're going to go home and pray about it. That wasn't the plan. That's not the plan at all. Jesus says, our father. And in the scriptures, we know him as loving, compassionate, merciful, faithful, good. He's a rescuer. He's a redeemer. He's a warrior. But in this moment, he's sovereign. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's all of those things. And Jesus says, yes, but he's our father. And anybody can pray to him. Jesus just, it's like he just took one of the Pharisees' prayer books and he just tossed it. Because anybody can walk into the room and talk to dad. Anyone can walk into the room and talk to Abba, Father. And that's the invitation that you have. Now I don't know what your dad was like. You may have not had a perfect dad, just guessing. If you are a dad, you may not be a perfect dad. I'm doing pretty good today. Mine were asleep before I left the house. So far, I'm having a great dad day. And so this is going well, okay? It's tough. But imagine the perfect father. The father who will give you his complete attention the father who has the ability to have the whole world in his hands and know every hair that's left on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he invites you to come into the room and talk. Just open up. When a kid does this, when a child talks to dad, don't they just not say everything right? Like the grammar's not right, the approach was not right, you say it out of order, 
Like, couldn't you have just welcomed me first? Couldn't you let me know you were in the room first instead of coming in the room and just blurting out, dad, 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 dad. But that's the invitation to come as a child. This had a huge impact on the disciples. We especially see it from John. Look at John chapter one. John says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. So John has just talked about how God's own people rejected Jesus. But for those who receive him, for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, now we know for salvation because he has died on the cross, because he shed his blood, because he's risen from the dead. For those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the invitation is to become an adopted son or daughter of God. That's a pretty decent invitation if you ask me. But understand, everyone is created by God, but according to scripture, not everyone's a child of God. And I know that's not popular. I know that's not culturally correct, but it's scripturally correct. Everyone is not a child of God. But to those who believed him, to those who received him, 1 John chapter 3, John says it this way, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called what? Children of God. And so we are The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I love what the NIV says. If you're using one as your Bible there this morning, it says this word. He says that God has lavished his love on us. He has poured it out. He's called you son. He's called you daughter, the king of kings. If the king calls you son, that makes you a prince. That makes you, the scriptures say, a joint heir with Jesus. If the king calls you daughter, sit up a little higher, darling. That makes you a princess. And don't let anybody tell you you're anything less than a princess in the eyes of Almighty God. He calls us his own. He calls us his sons and his daughters. It's like this... It's like when you go outside in your backyard and you find a meteorite. You know, this happens all the time in North Georgia. You find a, a, a meteorite and it's filled with, with diamonds and, and rubies and, and emeralds and you hold it up and it, it sparkles in the sun. It's just this beautiful thing, even in the moonlight. Have you found one of these in your backyard? You're like, where do you live? Can I come over to your house? No, we've never found a meteorite in the backyard. But you know what John's trying to tell us? That God loves us with an otherworldly love. It's something so beautiful, something so valuable, that honestly we cannot really even understand all that it is made of. But he lavishes it on us time and time and time again. We can come to him as father. We've got time to make that kind of application from the Lord's prayer today. I want you to look at the rest of it for just a moment. Just look and scan down there. Look at, look at what Jesus says. He says, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So yes, you can come to him as father, but let's be mindful of who dad is, okay? All the honor is due him. All the glory is due him. Hallowed be your name. You are high and lifted up. The spotlight is on you. All the praise belongs to you and not to me. That's how prayer begins. Right there with that mindset. And then I want you to see the order. 
I want you to see that he's father and I want you to see the order. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Here's the deal. I was raised in Sunday school and I probably have three or four different acronyms that were supposed to tell me how to pray, okay? And I've used them. One was ACTS. All the Sunday school teacher thought that was the coolest because it was named after a book in the Bible. If you didn't know, there's a book called Acts. And so let me give you the acronym real quick, okay? Some of you know it. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, can I spell? Yes. Uh, supplication, which is the word you teach a seven-year-old for prayer request, okay? That's the deal for that, all right? So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then you lay out your request. It's a beautiful, simple order. It's completely wrong, It's completely wrong, except for the adoration part. That's where we start. Hallowed be your name. Before you ask for forgiveness, and I know you might really want to jump to that, before you tell him thank you for all of those things, before you make your prayers about you, you make them about him. You make them about his purposes in the world. You make them about his kingdom. You make them about doing everything you can to bring his kingdom to earth. That is the view that you look at. He's going to say a few verses later, seek first my kingdom. So everything begins with God and flows from there. I know you've got requests. I know you've got needs. I know you've got things you walk around with that burden you. They stay on the forefront of your mind. And you're thinking, how do I pray for those things in this context? We start with him, then we move to us, but he overrides all of that. So are you praying for your family today? God, in our family, our relationships are are splintered, they're fractured. We need you, God. Why? We need you so that we can put your kingdom on display. Do you see it? Do you see that? Everything runs through his kingdom. God, my marriage is about to fall apart. My marriage is, I'm about to throw in the towel. If I don't, she will. We need you, God. We need you to do a miracle here. Why? Because we want you to put our marriage on display that the love of God might be put on display through us. So God, would you do a miracle of healing so that we can proclaim your miracles of healing and our marriage to everyone who knows what we've been through. For my kids, for that they might be used by God in ways that they could never ask or imagine, that my kids, first and foremost, that my boys would be mighty warriors for God, that they would be flung out into the earth to wherever God would want to use them and have his will and have his way. That's how you pray for your kids. If you're praying for them to come back, if you pray God's will and God's kingdom for them, they will come back. God, I'm praying for my finances right now. My finances are they're not doing so well, God. We need a miracle from you. We need you, to, we need you to show up. We need you to do something. Listen, as I put my finances in play in God's kingdom, as I give back to him, as I put him first in my finances, can I tell you something? God, would you please heal my finances so that I can use my resources in your kingdom? God, my health. God, I need to get in shape. God, I'm dealing with cancer. God, my memory's going. God, I got things happening here. And I'm asking you, would you please allow me to be my most healthy self that I might be able to be used in your kingdom? Jesus invites even our mundane little request. 
He invites them to matter and he invites them to be used for his kingdom's sake. One pastor rewrote the Lord's Prayer this way. I love this. He said, Jesus, Father, cause your great and holy name to be honored and reverenced and esteemed and treasured above all things everywhere in the world, including my heart. And cause you glorious, sovereign, kingly rule to hold sway without obstruction everywhere in the world, including in my heart. And cause your all-wise, all-good, all-just, all-holy will to be done all over this world the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven. Make it happen in me. Do it in my heart. Let the mission and purpose and kingdom of God order every single day. This day. God, this day I need provision. This day, I need daily bread. I'm not going to get ahead of myself because, God, I need you every day. Because, Father, I need you every day. I want to talk to Father every single day. I want to let Father know every single day what's going on in my life. I want to order my purposes and my plans with his purposes, put them under his plans, under his kingdom every single day. God, you need to forgive me today for what I've done already for this morning, for what I did yesterday. I know that I stand clean before you because of what Jesus has done, but God, I don't want anything between you and me, so forgive me this day. Allow me to forgive others just this day. Keep me free from temptation, God, just today. I know that it's going to come. I know that it's going to happen. Keep me free from that today. Help me to be strong, to overcome this day, those things for your kingdom's sake. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Let every part of my life be about his kingdom come and his will. We've got to get the order and our motives right. And then he will take care of everything else. But there's another part of prayer that's often neglected or another spiritual discipline that's neglected that Jesus hits on in this passage as well. It doesn't happen every time you pray, but it's a It's a discipline, something that you should be a part of the Christian life as you seek to become more fully devoted follower of Jesus. Matthew chapter six, verse 16 says this. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the actors, the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who sees what you do in secret and your father who sees it in secret will reward you. Are you remembering it at all? Do you hear it at all? Your father who sees your giving to the poor in secret, who sees your prayers in secret, sees your fasting in secret, and he will reward you if you have the order correct, if the motive is correct, and he lays it out for us to understand because this happened again, as you might imagine in that culture, maybe you've been around someone like that, where they were fasting and they let everybody know it. Fasting is very, very simple. It's giving up something physical to make more room for the spiritual. 
giving up something physical to make more room for your relationship with God. It's great when you can give up something that reminds you continually of him. Some of you could fast from Instagram for a day. You might start shaking really violently about 11 a.m., but it will cause you to think about your father, and that will be a good thing, okay? Too often we associate it with just food, and food is, is fine. You can give up a meal, it can be breakfast or lunch or dinner, a whole day, and use those times that you would ordinarily use eating as times of just prayer, reading scripture, reflecting on God. And the Pharisees would walk around, they would let everybody know they're fasting. Oh, man, I was missing breakfast today. It's, it's bad. Is it lunchtime? Yeah, I'm not supposed to eat at lunch either. Please don't. I'm going to go. I, I can't be around you right now. I, I feel like you smell like bacon. This, ha- this cannot happen. I, uh, so please, I'm, I'm fasting. I'm in a very spiritual state right now. Please don't interrupt my spirituality. And that was how some people were fasting. And some people were fasting only for their needs. God, I need you to do this. God, I need a miracle from you. And nothing wrong with it but you've got to get the order correct. And here's the beauty of it. Your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You will get in prayer and in fasting, you will have the full attention of Father God if you will pray and fast the way the scriptures lay this out. In Genesis chapter 22, I want to go here for just a moment. We'll come back. Genesis chapter 22, there's a story. It's a story that weirds people out. I'm just going to warn you. But right up front, we're told that the story is a test. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And Abraham said, here I am. Look at those three words. Here I am, here am I, whatever your translation says. I was listening to a pastor several years ago. This pastor's name is Ed Dobson. He actually died last year. Powerful man of God. I I heard him do a message on this particular verse and on the Hebrew word that is translated here I am. It's a Hebrew word, hinani. And it means basically this. Here I am right here, right now. I stand at the ready. And so Abraham receives this call from God and he answers, here I am. And God says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, your only son, the son of promise. I told you you're going to be a great nation. You've only got one child right now. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on three days journey and I want you to kill him. I told you this story messes people up, especially people who don't know God yet, who don't know scripture very well, and they hear bits of it. It's a test, okay? Abraham doesn't know that. And so Abraham, with a couple servants, and his son, who's probably in his mid to late 20s by now, they go to this mountain, and just Abraham and his son go up this mountain, and his son looks at dad and says, hey, dad, uh, you forgot something. If we're going up here to sacrifice today, we don't have a sacrifice. And Abraham just maybe didn't even look over at him, probably couldn't even do it, just said, God's going to provide the sacrifice. They build an altar together. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? Um, you, um, and can you, I need you to lay down. I don't know what that conversation was like. But remember, Isaac's old enough, he could have taken the old man if he wanted to. 
But there's something here. He must understand somehow that God has commanded dad to do this. And so Isaac lays down on the altar. And Abraham, I imagine, quivering, shaking, with tears in his eyes, his only son, raises the knife over his head to sacrifice his son. The New Testament tells us that Abraham believed that he would kill Isaac on that day, but that God would raise him from the dead. That was Abraham's faith on that day. And look at verse 11 of Genesis 22. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and look what he says. Hineni, here I am, right here, right now. Here I am. I'm ready to plunge this knife into my only son. And the angel says, put the knife away. Put it away. The story had such an impact, had such power in it. Abraham's willingness to respond to God in that way, no matter what God asked him to do. Here I am, right here, right now, that Hundreds of years later, when Moses would walk by a bush that was burning but was not consumed, and he turns and he looks at the bush, and God calls to him from the bush, do you know what Moses says to the voice in the bush? Here I am, right here, right now. In the book of Samuel, as the boy Samuel is hearing God call to him at night, and he believes it's the priest that he lives with, and he goes into the priest and he says, hey, what do you need? And Eli says, I didn't call you, and they finally figure out. He says, I believe God is calling you. So once Samuel understands that it's God who's calling him, when he hears the call again, how does Samuel answer? What does he say? Here I am. When Isaiah is standing in front of the throne of God, And he's seeing this vision of God with all these angels and these beasts worshiping, crying out, holy, 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 with this cry from God who says, who will go for us and who will I send? What does Isaiah say? Here am I, send me. Hinnani, here I am, right here, right now, whatever you want for your kingdom's sake, here I am. That is always our response to Father God. Now watch this. Isaiah chapter 58 is about a people, the Israelite people, selfishly fasting. All they want are their own needs. They do not have the order right. They do not have the motive right. And they're wondering, why isn't God showing up? And look what he says. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 says this. This is God speaking. He says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see him naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Do you see the order? Make it about giving to the poor and needy. Make it about the things that I want first. Make it about my kingdom come, my will be done first. And then watch what happens. It's so beautiful. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall speed up 
spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am right here, right now. For years, the response was known from us to be to God. Here I am right here, right now. And he's saying today, if you will pray your kingdom come, your will be done. My response to you is my full attention, my full power, everything that I've got within me, everything that I've got. God, the father says, here I am today. Come to me, come to me. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. There's nowhere you can go apart from me. Here I am. Hear him say it. Here I am. Father God, here I am. It's not just our response to him. It's his response to us. The sovereign God of the universe. I can remember when my boys, my 14-year-old, if he stands a certain way, he's, he's taller than me. He's not allowed to stand that way. Um, his feet are bigger than mine. His little brother is on a growth curve that could pass him, which will be a lot of fun in a few years, trust me. But there was a time when they fit between my belt buckle and my chin. And in the middle of the night in the dark, they would be crying. We read the books. I knew I wasn't supposed to do it, but I didn't care because one of my boys was crying. I'd open the door in the room. It's still dark. He's still crying. Maybe he's heard the door, maybe not. He doesn't really even know I'm there. What would I say when I walk in the room? Here I am. Daddy's here. And just hold him in my arms. Some of you need to know today, Abba Father's here. He's got you. He has got you. He never left. That's the great thing about our Heavenly Father. That's a quality He has that we don't have. He never left. And for His children, He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He will wrap you right in his arms today. You say, that's awesome. I need a warrior. Can I tell you? We got a heavenly dad and he's a warrior, man. And you know what he said in Exodus 14 to Moses? He said, hey, 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 you don't need to fight. The Lord will fight for you. I will fight for you. All you need to do is be still. And Moses stood there and watched as the wind blew and as he parted the sea so they could walk right through it. Whatever it is today in your life, your heavenly father says, here I am. If you'll pray to him today, father, your kingdom come, your will be done. He says, here I am. Here I am. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you practice this for just a moment? No one's gonna hear you. You don't have to worry about whether or not you really feel comfortable with this right now, but you can talk to him just like he's your dad. You might want to pray, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. You might just want to take a deep breath and pray, Father. 
And then would you just hear him say, here I am. Here I am. If you're here today and you've been far from him, that promise for you to draw near to him and he will draw near to you, that's for you today. You may be an atheist, come walking in here, agnostic. You may have just called yourself casually a child of God, not realizing that you needed to actually put your faith and trust in him and receive that spirit of adoption. If you've never done that, it doesn't matter where you are today. He answers you the same way. If you come to him today, he'll say, here I am, and he'll give you salvation. If you would pray to him, God, I come to you in this moment, believing that your one and only son, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. I'm so sorry, God, but I believe he shed his blood for me. And I believe he's risen from the dead today that I might take hold of life that's truly life, that I might live forevermore. Oh God, I don't really understand it all, but I put my faith and trust in you now.